I kept ending up in situations with people that I was dating that weren't happy. And they weren't happy. They weren't happy with wherever they were at in life. And interesting you say that. And they, but I felt like I could make them happy. And now. (laughs) I'm the captain now. Coming to you from the K2 Studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for being here. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 182 of the Chris and Christine Show. Do, 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 do. we fantastic. We're coming to you live on a Sunday. Yeah, it is. And I was just thinking, 182. What does it 182 make me think of? Blink 182. That's right. Coming to you from San Diego. They're from Poway. Do you know that? I had no clue. Seriously? You kidding me? Are you kidding me for real? I don't know if I've ever even listened to one of their songs. Oh my goodness. I was a huge Blink-182 fan back in the day. They had all the albums and everything. And I kind of kind of fell off a little bit and stuff. But um, they had a new album come out, or at least a new new song come out a couple years ago. Yeah, it was all right. It's cool, you know, and all that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, it was a massive. I think what happened for me was that the fact that the band was literally here in San Diego, from San Diego area, which made it so much more cooler. Because when you think about your hometown, if something major like comes out of your own hometown, you get super excited and like you're super thrilled for it. Absolutely. And you were just making me think of new releases. I was here scrolling on my phone just as quickly as I could to try and fa- to find the exact information. Uh, but guess what just happened tonight? Uh, you made dinner? Uh, I did, but tonight is the Grammys. And oh, none, we other, tonight, yeah. none other than the queen herself, Taylor Swift just surprise announced. Well, you said queen. I thought it meant you. No, she just surprise announced a brand new album drop. Everybody thought that she was going to release Reputation, Taylor's version tonight, like all over the T-Swifty community. Everybody was like, ready for the alb- the new album announcement, but or for the um, Reputation and album announcement. Everybody was queued up for it. And she totally blindsided her entire community. And instead of releasing her re-recorded album reputation, she came out with a brand new one and it is so exciting. I'm trying to get the exact name of it. It's the tortured poets, tortured poets department, I think is what it's called. Hold on. Hold please. I'm going to tell you right now. Well, all the I tortured is- poets department. Wow. That sounds like a mouthful. By it the is. Way. You know, reminds uh, me of like dead poet society. I think it's what the angle she was going for. Now the question is, is it country or is it back to pop? It's with her. I mean, her current, like, I don't even know if it's considered pop. It's like her own genre. I, I think she's kind of fallen to that. Like pop meets like soft rock meets like, I guess maybe soft rock. It's like if you listen on soft kicks, rock. Yeah. No. You know, like adult contemporary, you know? No. Like that kind of music. It's not no. like, it's not like um, country. Like I, I miss the old country Taylor. Taylor, you know, if you're listening, you know, I miss you when you're, when you're a country. Let me tell you. Back you were like days. living back in like 1912. No, no, no. She wasn't even born yet. I know, but you were like way back in like it, the the initial days. You know, of so I'm not alone though. I've heard a lot of people too. They say 
They yeah, miss, that's your way of saying they, <laughs> that's your way of trying to get like a street cred. I heard from a lot of people. Yeah, they like say that they, they miss the old tailor. They miss the country tailor. They yeah they, list they, them. Yes, people my age. What are their names? <laughs> you know, oh, old people. Yeah, pretty much. That you are in their I, late fifties. Did I ever tell you that I discovered Taylor Swift? Like yes. I brought her to the masses. You no, know? you keep saying this. That is not true. I did. No, it's not everybody, true. Everybody's like, who's this Taylor chick? Taylor Swift chick. And I'm like, you got to check out this album. It's amazing. Check this thing out. You got, I, I was pimping I out I burned stuff. it from Napster. <laughs> yeah. I am accurate. In fact, it was from Napster. I, I know it was from Napster. I've heard, that tells you I've heard this story more than 17 times. So what I did but, was I burned it and then I was like, this is so awesome. Listen to it all the time. Gave it out to Okay, old you know. man, old man, we're over it. But the point is, going back to what I was saying is, it was, it's very exciting. It's a pre-order of her new album. It's not going to be released until April, but she announced it today. The Tortured Poets Department is very exciting. And, you know, it's just been very interesting to see how she continues to shock people through like these little clues that she weaves into her performances. And then, you know, she'll roll out a new single or, I mean, she, the woman is just a machine. I don't know how she gets it all done. I wonder if she sleeps, but like how many albums on top of this mega tour that she's doing yeah, right how now. How does she have even have time to even record an album while she was on the road and going back and forth to the Chiefs games and stuff like that? Her airplane must have like a studio or something inside. I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to do the um, background sound elimination for somebody recording on an airplane like that? Well, if you have her kind of money, if you can build your own airplane, you probably can build like an entire section of the plane, which is totally isolated. Soundproof. Oh, yeah, definitely. Or even on your, okay, maybe not on the airplane, but definitely like on an actual tour bus. Oh, yeah. On the tour bus, you can have a, a whole, because she has, did you say she had like, 10 or 20 different tour buses or something like that, or, or trailers or trucks or something like that. No, I said that she had like 50 different 50. semi trucks, right. if not more for her gear for her tour, but that's not her recording studio. One of them could have been a recording studio. Hey, did you ever see Knight Rider back in the day, the old eighties television show, how uh kit, the car had talked to Knight Rider. Anyways, it would like drive up. Into you the didn't even let me answer. The answer is no, because I was barely born. <laughs> Okay. Yes, I know it because it's uh uh what is it um something Knight Rider the pattern is full something like what do they say? No, it's Ghost Rider the pattern. Ghost Rider. Okay. That's not that's not the right one. But anyways, they had the car drove up into this like it was a semi truck. It, it was a black car right. and it talked. I know. Yes, and it was it, it was like a computer or whatever, but it. The headquarters was like this rolling semi. So like the semi opens back door up and, have like and it would ramps. like roll out the back yeah, and then or it would roll, take off. I know. And just I the opposite, it. it would roll into it. And in the inside the semi, it was like a full on like, you know, like headquarters with like computers and stuff. And they would like, you know, do all their cool, you know, whatever, whatever the show was about. I forget. But anyways, they would do the stuff in the semi, like the rolling semi was like the studio. Why can't she do this stuff like that? Why can't she have a rolling stem, semi with all the studio stuff inside the semi? You're assuming she doesn't. Well, I don't know. You know, I'm just saying. Exactly. You don't know. But my point is, the whole point of this segment is to say, congratulations, Taylor. The world is excited. I'm excited. I love her music. I find it very fascinating, very poetic. I love the lyrics. 
And I was listening, I've been listening over and over again to her song Endgame because it's almost like she's foreshadowing what her life was going to be. And she, I mean, this was, it's on her reputation album, but the song says, um, I want to be your end game. I want to be your first string. I want to be your A team. And then there's like these quotes and they're very sports related. And I was like, oh my gosh, like did Taylor like know she was going to end up with a sports guy? And she's talking about big reputation. You and me, we've got big reputations. And I was like, okay. So like before her relationship she was in, uh, when with the guy before Kelsey, it was very secluded. Her boyfriend was not in the news. Like he did not want to be in the media. She was basically like a shut in with him in London and living this very reclusive life. And so what she has now is such an opposite. And it just goes to show you how, you know, when you're in a relationship that is healthy, how you really can like step into your full identity. Yeah, you feel more comfortable because that's what you feel like you want to do. And and do you think there's a problem though with having two people that are both in the limelight? And uh, I I know that like some would say she's more popular than Travis and so on and so forth. But that being said, they both are have their swagger and they both are definitely, um, you know, they're definitely popular people, you know, and they're definitely like, like versus say she was like the, you know, somewhere else exclusive, exclusive hanging out, just keeping it on the down low. I mean, both people are out in the public and they're both doing their thing. In fact, they're together. I mean, they're, at first they were kind of hiding their relationship a little bit and kind of keep it on the down low. But then, you know, as it kind of got out and all the rumors started sp- spreading and everything. So it's like, uh, you know, it's kind of out, the cat's out of the bag now. So what are they going to do? I don't know. But, you know, the reason that I brought up Taylor and Travis is because today on our episode, we're actually going to be digging into the beginnings of our relationship. And I feel a connection with Taylor and Travis. And the reason is because of what she came through to be able to get to be in the right place for him. And then also the kinds of relationships he went through where there was women that were just like after him for his fame and his money. And I know, I know the feeling. And just, um, you know, there, there was these stories about one of his previous girlfriends that he like paid her an allowance or something like that. So that like, right. Like she wanted a certain lifestyle and that, you know, kind of like a, I don't want to say sugar baby. I don't know who the person was and I don't want to speak ill of them. But when, I mean, we're not Taylor and Travis, but when you ask that question of like, you know, is it hard when you have two people that are in the limelight or two people that are chasing their dreams? And, you know, I look at you and it's like, well, he's a podcaster. You're a podcaster. He overcame challenging things in his previous relationship. So did you. Um, He has these dreams. He's pushing forward and always busy. Like, okay, they're similar. And then, you know, me and Taylor were like basically twins. <laughs> Pretty much, you know. I mean, I fell in with Taylor back in 2005 or seven or whatever it was. Her first album came out, you know. And I fell in with you, you know, a few years later. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, today, you know, you and I have been talking a little bit about with our podcast. We have guests on a lot. And we focus on going deep with other people. And we've woven in parts of our story 
throughout the time that we've had this podcast together, but I was just really thinking about, I don't know if our listeners know the real us, like stripping everything away, like being vulnerable, telling our story. And so I just said like, Hey, what do we, what do you think about? We just open up the mics and we just like talk and talk through what our lives have been like. You know, I think that's a fantastic idea. I think we should roll with that. What do you plan on booking that episode today? Right now? Uh, it's happening right now. What? Surprise. You're on an episode right now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just figured like I'd kick it off. And, um, you know, so first of all, our our relationship timeline, we started dating in 2018. It was yes. June of 2018. Was that when I first met you? Was it June or yeah, May? It was June right. 9th of 2018. You remember the, the day and the date. I do. Okay. So our first date was June 9th, 2018. But if you want to go back a little bit, you want to know how we physically made first contact. Well, we'll get to that in a second, but I'm just going to say like our first date was June 9th of 2018. We were married on November 20th, 2020, and we are now in 2023. It is February. So we have been 2024. together. 2024. Thank you. Yeah. So, <laughs> gotcha. That one. Yeah. So we've been together from first date till now, five and a half years. Whoa. Check that out. I yeah. know. That's the longest relationship I ever had, I think. I know. I think it is for you. Um, but you know, it hasn't all been sunshine and roses. And so I think let's start our stories before we even get to the, how we initially met. Let's go a little bit further back. So uh, June of 2018, uh, let's float back two years before that. So 2016. Oh, even better. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell me, Chris, like what was happening in your life around the year 2016? 2016 was the year that I was well, see. Okay. At my job, there is a day shift and there's a night shift. I'm on the night shift currently, which basically means I go in at three o'clock in the afternoon and I usually finish around two or three o'clock at night or in the morning, however you look at it. And the day shift guys start at three in the, in the morning and they work till three in the afternoon, two in the afternoon, whatever it was. So that particular year, for whatever reason, I think it was because the schedule I had previously had before, you pick your schedules based on seniority. And a senior guy ahead of me had bumped me off of my normal schedule I had the years prior before that. So I'm like, man, there's like no good schedules left on night shift to pick. So I'm like, well, you know what? Why don't I try my hand at day shift? Let's give it a shot. So 2016 was the year that I flipped over to day shift for the first time. And it was brutal the first week. Let me tell you, waking up at three in the morning, actually waking up at 2.30 in the morning. So hard, but I got used to after a while, but I was working day shift year 2016. And during that year, I was um, at my apartment I had in Rancho San Diego. I was living in Rancho San Diego. at a nice apartment. It was a really nice complex. It had um, lots of your standard amenities and most nice, com- uh, okay, I guess you'd call it like luxury apartments would you normally would have. Okay. So it had like a washer and dryer inside the place. It was a bigger size unit, walk-in closet over the master bedroom. It had two bedroom, two baths, patio, had a tennis court, Olympic size swimming pools, clubhouse, all kinds of amenities, a gym, standard stuff. Okay. At this point, because I'm thinking about the age of the kids. So you had children already. Yeah. Of Were course. you Married or not at this point in 2016? No, in 2016, I was, uh, had already previously been divorced. 
So I was like already, how many years? Um, I got divorced 2013. So I've okay. been divorced like three years. I've been divorced. And when I got this apartment in Rancho San Diego, before that, I was renting a house with my ex-wife. And then when we split, I kept the house. I kept, I, I stayed there and kept paying for the house myself because the rent wasn't very much. It was kind of an older rundown house, but the rent was fairly cheap. It was cheaper than renting an apartment at the time. And the only reason we moved out of there into the apartment was because the original owners of that house decided to sell it. Oh, got it. And at, at first I was thinking maybe I should try to buy the place, not to move because you know, who wants to move and find a place and all that stuff? I'm already here. Even though the place was run down and needed a lot of work and it was, oh, you would have hated it. It needed a lot of work. And um, I was like, well, if I could just get a good deal, maybe I get a mortgage, maybe I can get in and not have to like mess with stuff. Maybe I get a good deal or something. That didn't work out very well. So uh, it forced me to move. That's what I moved to. I want to move. If I'm going to have a choice of apartments, I'm going to find something nice, something decent, you know, especially when you have kids and stuff too. Something big enough for the kids, everybody. It's close to work. It's close to everything. It's a nice neighborhood, safe neighborhood. And that's kind of why I landed over there. So when I landed there, I was living there because you get the one-year lease or whatever it is. And I was there with the kids. We loved it. We had a great time. Christmas was great there. All kinds of fun stuff there with the kids. Um, you know, the one thing I didn't like about living in the apartment, which probably everybody who lives in an apartment has this issue, is that if you come home late at night or different hours or whatever, Parking spots are gone or someone's parking mm-hmm. your spot and you get so mad and, and you know, it, I've had a couple of issues and it was so mad. And, um, but anyways, that's one thing I hate about the apartment, apartment parking. So that's where you physically were located and like where you physically were living, but that doesn't tell our listeners anything about what your life was like. Cause like you had just gone through a divorce, you're how old are were the kids when the divorce was finalized? My oldest was going at that time, which kind of sucked because I had to take the kids from Rancho San Diego all the way over to where they go to school. We're going to school by our house now, which is kind of a far drive from where I was at. So I had to do that. And Jacob was, I think, kindergarten or first grade he was in. And Mason wasn't in school yet. So what happened was, is that on the days off I had, I had the kids, I would run all the way over to the school, drop off Jacob for school. And then I would have Mason with me because he's so little. So Mason and I would do an adventure together, just the two of us. And you'd either be going to the zoo if we could, had time for that, go to the parks, we had time for that, <clears throat> go to the mall, go fun stuff I would do with, with, with Mason. And I remember Jacob would be so upset or so jealous because- <laughs> When I would pick up Jacob after school, and had Mason with me, and he'd be like, "What fun stuff did you guys do today? You know, what fun? Well, you know, we you know went to the park, we did this, you know." And it, I think he felt a little like jealousy of that kind of stuff because yeah. we did fun stuff. It's because I had something to do with Mason. Mason was so little, I had to take him and do do something with him, and or it was the park or something, you know, right? Because because I had him, then I pick up Jacob, and I was off during the middle of the week, so I was basically the days off I had or days they were in school. It wasn't Saturday or Sunday. It wasn't like that, those kind of days. So basically, when I had the kids on my days off, it was it was filled with kids stuff. So 2016, you have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And you said in 2013 was when your divorce went through three years prior. So like, let let me think on that for a second. So- in 2013, you find yourself a single dad of a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Correct. Yeah. Okay. 
also, I don't want to dig too much into the circumstances around the divorce, but that that time frame of taking a three-year-old and a one-year-old and getting them to be six-year-old and four-year-old, like that three-year gap, what was that like for you as a single parent who was also working full-time? What do you mean? Like, what was it like for you? Well, I mean, um, at first it's always very, well, first off, when you get divorced or even break up with a girlfriend or, or you know, boyfriend, husband, whatever, it's very stressful. And especially when infidelity is involved and that makes you want to do something kind of like revenge dating, I guess it's kind of a bad term, but mm-hmm. like, it's where it's almost like a, think of it like a rebound, but like basically like a rebound, but definitely like a, almost like I'm going to show you and get, get, you know, kind of a thing. And and I think I fell into that too when I was, um, you know, split up from my ex and, and I was just dating girl after girl and that sort of thing and didn't really care. You know, it was, it was something new and fresh and something new and exciting and somebody that, that for the first time, actually, I, for my time, you know, when you go through a divorce, you've, you know, everything's horrible and, and people say nasty things and they do nasty things and, and things of that sort. So when you are, I feel like you're free of that and you feel like you're, you know, wide open to do whatever you want. That's basically what I did. But having kids on the days off was hard to really get out and do stuff because I had the kids all the time. But once in a while, my mom would watch the kids and we, I'd go out on a date or have people over and things of that sort. But for the most part, when I was dating, I had to bring the kids into the my dating relationship fairly quickly. And I think I did the same thing with you, with you because like the reality was that I didn't have like some people who get divorced will have like the, okay, the, the kids with me during the summer and then during winter break their way or, or vice versa. And you have the, all that time free. I never had that. So on my only days off I had, I had the kids with me. So imagine that and trying to date, how hard is that? It's like near impossible, especially when they're that age. You know, I think Mason was still in diapers. My first, yeah, he was still in diapers when I was trying to, when I had to left my ex-wife and trying to like date with a, with a baby, a newborn, you know, right. a newborn, but like a baby, you know, and then Jacob too and stuff. So it was, it was very tricky navigating that stuff. So when I did find people, I did date different people that, that were okay with having kids or okay with being around children and stuff. That for me was like a tractor beam. I was like, I'm very attracted to that because not so much they can watch the kids is because that they could understand and they could be accepting of being around the kids and accepting the idea of possibly having a family with me and the kids. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So it, so that's the, those are the kind of girls I was attracted to, especially right after the divorce girls that were into like younger and partying and were single and didn't even have, or even around kids. That's probably why I was more attracted to moms, I guess, or single moms, mm-hmm. probably because they understood my situation. So back in 2016, what were you up to? Well, so, you know, our paths, I, I know we've talked about this before. They, you know, things happen at different times for each of us. So in 2016, I, if we look at January of 2016, I had just, I just arrived in San Diego County. So I started my job at the County Office of Education 
on June 5th of 2016. So I got the keys to my, my first apartment down here, uh, just a few days before Christmas of 2015 and then moved into the apartment the day after Christmas, 2015. And, you know, so some stuff had happened to where I had to make a really hard decision to move down and not bring Ezekiel with me because ultimately it was what was best for him. You know, I really wanted him to be with me. And like you said, when you go through really hard things, there's this desire to want revenge. And there was a moment where, you know, I wanted, because I was hurt, I wanted to hurt my former spouse. Of course. Yeah. But I didn't. And I can say that with confidence that every step, I've taken the high road, even though it meant that I paid a lot more money through the divorce, that I took on debts that I didn't necessarily have to. I could have fought it all. And when it came down to Ezekiel and I needed to move for my mental well-being and for me to get a fresh start um, and for some other reasons that I don't need to get into on this podcast I really needed to get some distance between me and my former spouse. But what I wasn't going to do under any circumstances was take Ezekiel away from his dad because his dad is a really good dad. Now, did that thought ever cross your mind? Of taking him? Yeah. Well, I wanted to move him down here with me. I mean, what mother, when you go through that, when you go through, you know, needing to start fresh would want to make that decision of, you know, your child staying behind. And so for me, it was to this day, the most difficult decision that I've ever had to make was the choice of being able to start this new job, knowing that I would not be seeing my son every day. And so I got my apartment and, you know, Ezekiel was with me. It was during winter break for him. So he was with me for a few days and then um, went back home. I think my parents took him home or I met his dad halfway. And um, his birthday was like two weeks later. So my parents drove him down so that we could all spend his birthday together in the new apartment. And my mom and dad stayed over with us. but. I, I went, (laughs) you know, it's crazy is I rented this apartment and I, just like you were saying, when you rented apartment for the kids and you were looking at all the amenities, when I selected this apartment, I selected it believing that Ezekiel would be with me. I picked it, um, in an area in Escondido. So it's like 35, 40 minutes from work in a commute. It was in a safe building. It was a newer building. They had some great amenities in the area and it fed into great elementary schools, which I was thinking he was going to attend. And it was at the top of my budget. So like when I leased it, it was was this whole crazy chain of, of events, but it was like within $25 of my max budget that I could afford. You know, that's crazy because you think about the budget of, of when you came from up in Fresno area, the apartments for like something like that up in Fresno would have been like a lot less. 
Absolutely. So I ended up getting, it was a beautiful apartment. It was, uh, it was 1200 square feet, which is huge. That's a good size for any, that's massive. For, that was a yeah. three bedroom or two bedroom? Two bedroom. Wow. Two bathroom, washer and dryer in the unit. The building was less than five years old. We had a huge patio and it was on the corner. So we had a wraparound patio. We had a big living room and a dining area, a little built-in desk and everything like granite countertops, huge kitchen. It was a beautiful apartment and I was so excited to get it. And then after my family moved me in and after those first few days when Ezekiel went home, I was sitting there. I was, I was so, I want to say poor. That's not, that's not an accurate reflection. Money was so tight. I wasn't poor, but money was so tight that I couldn't afford a lot of things that a lot of people could. I didn't have a TV. I didn't have any kind of cable service. I had Netflix on a computer that I bought. Um, and so I, that's all that I would be able to watch. So I would sit in my apartment. I had no friends in the area because I moved down for the job and to get some, you know, some distance. Some space, yeah. I had no friends down there. Down there. I had no family within hundreds of miles. I money was so tight that I couldn't like go out to eat and things like that. And so I would sit in my apartment and I had like, I could watch Netflix and I would just watch Only on the laptop. Right. Right. I would watch reruns on Gilmore girl of Gilmore girls. Um, but even then, like it took me a little while to be able to Grimp out enough in my budget to be able to activate the Wi-Fi, which I ended up I needed for work, so I was able to pay for Wi-Fi in my my apartment. But um, you know, I would just sit there and I would read and I would journal and um, I just got really lonely really fast, and I never really experienced that because you got to remember in my story, I met my son's father. When I was 18. Was, I was it right out of high school or still in high school? I was in college. It was my first week at, in college and I met him and we became friends. And then we started dating a year later. And now here I am at 35 years old. I'd never dated. That's I crazy. I'd never dated. He was my first boyfriend. And... I'd never needed to date. I'd never known how to navigate socially. I'd never, I was 35 years old. I'd never gone to a club ever. I think I'd stepped foot in maybe like two or three bars. My entire life up until this point was work and church and family. And now I'm in a new city with a new job that I hadn't even started yet. I didn't have a church my family, of course, they were checking on me all the time and calling me, but I had no friends. I had moved away from everything. And so I spent all of my weekends, like whenever I was free, um, I was up in Fresno. I drove up at least twice a month. So that first year, I was driving up every other weekend. So I would work 
all five days in person. And then my boss was a real stickler for my, for time. So I would get off right at five o'clock on Friday. My car would already be packed and then I'd hit the road and I'd drive the 350 miles up to Kingsburg. My parents would already have Zeke there for the weekend. And I made sure that even though I was far away, that I was with him every other weekend religiously. Nothing got in the way of that. That's good. You're a good mom for doing that, by the way. You You know, it's a big sacrifice having you step away from, you know, being there for him and being so far away. I, I bet when you first were living in that apartment at first by yourself, moving, you're totally alone for the first time ever. And I mean, don't mean like emotionally, I mean physically alone for the first time ever in your entire life. It must be, must feel like what it's like for somebody to physically move out of their parents' house for the first time, get their own apartment by themselves. No, No, it was so much different than that because that comes with excitement. And when that person is like ready to like spread their wings, they look at like, oh my gosh, there's so much out in the world and it's freedom. And for me, I had to sit with the loss and the grief of, you know, what my life had been before. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And I start the tears. So it was, and then, you know, every night that I was away from Ezekiel, if you know anything about our relationship, like he was my, and he still is my little buddy. And I would cry myself to sleep and I would ask like, what are you doing? I knew I knew I was supposed to be in San Diego. I didn't know why, but I knew that the doors had opened for a reason. And so, um, you know, it was, it wasn't long that I was down here and I went home, uh, to Kingsburg and it was Valentine's weekend, 2016. And I was talking to my mom about being lonely and she was like, well, you know, have you thought about starting to date now at this time? Ezekiel's father and I separated in April of 2015. So by February of 2016, it hadn't even been a full year yet. And the divorce was not finalized because there was a lot of stuff going on that kept us tied up in courts what, for a while. Kind, not specifically speaking about your case, but what, what kind of things would keep a divorce from moving you quickly or, or taking a while? What, what would hold it up? Well, I mean, lots of different things. There could be custody issues. We didn't have that issue. We were able to come to agreement on custody. Uh, But for all divorces, all other divorces, especially in California as a community property state, it's typically around what is the community property and the division of assets and the the finances. That's what it almost always comes down to. And so, you know, this is for anybody out there. And this is my little piece we actually don't have this in place, but I would say even if you go into a marriage with nothing, having a prenup is a really good idea for anybody. And well, now you're saying it, huh? You used no, to hate it. I, I never have hated it. You hate the idea of it. No, I haven't. I never have. Mm. I've never hated the idea of a prenup. You never brought it up. <laughs> okay. I mean, we could do a post-nup. I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> okay. But- Um, I think that it just cleans things up for people because it gets you to have hard conversations. Not that anybody wants to believe that they're going to end their 
marriage at any point in time. But in the event that you do. Well, okay. Think of this too. You know, our neighbor Joe just passed away, right? Heaven forbid one of us passes away. Would a prenup figure out like what happens with the assets of the other person versus. No, that's what a, a living trust does. But anyways, so back to my story. Because you got me off track talking Sorry. about talking about the divorce not being on track. So I went home. It was uh, Valentine's weekend of 2016. And I remember as, I was talking with my mom. And I think I was talking with my sister. We were at their, at the house. And um, I was just talking about being lonely. And they'd ask, like, had I met anybody? And, you know, at work... It was just like my boss was who I worked with. My friend, Melissa, hadn't moved into town yet. Like I didn't really know anybody. There was nobody my age that I was working with. And she's like, well, what about like those dating apps? Like, have you thought about doing one? I was like, I don't know. And you'd never used them before? No, I'd never even dated ever in my life. Okay, okay. And so I decided to get on a Christian Mingle. Okay. And, you know, for Christians. How was that? um, Well, you know, I started to chat with different people and they're no different than the other ones you think they are. What do you mean they're no different than the other ones? They're no different than the other ones because I feel like it's the same type of thing where people see you as like fresh meat or whatever. But anyways, let me, let me get into it. So I get on Christian Mingle And it was, you know, within like a week, I started chatting with a person and then we ended up going on a first date and we really hit it off and um, started seeing each other. And um, it was, it filled that void a little bit, but he lived uh, about an hour and a half away. And so we oh, would, really? and so we would see each other mostly on the weekends when I was in town and he was in town because he was a single dad and his daughter lived down in San Diego with her mother. So he was always in San Diego on the weekends coming to spend time with her. So, you know, what ended up happening over the course of this like 2016, 2017 is I got into this relationship where um, this person, great person, but also didn't have the most stable life because he was trying to figure out single parenting and supporting his daughter, but his daughter didn't ever get to go up with him up there. He was always coming down here. And then because he didn't have family because he was from a different country, he would he moved here for the marriage. Um, then he was like staying in a hotel to be able to spend time with his daughter. And then, you know, he had just some challenges. And so I found myself being in this relationship where I was compromising a lot and still felt pretty lonely. Was with a really nice guy, but you know, by the end of, by December of 2017, it had run its course. And, um, you think it was because all the, the mechanics behind all yep. the figuring out what, yep. when, how that kind of stuff. It when only, you have two, yeah. when you have two single parents that are both having to travel to be with their children, 
that becomes like where your energy is going. And as much as you want to feel like you can connect with and spend time with someone and give your best, you both end up giving each other a bit of the leftovers and then you come into the relationship fatigued. And instead of being the best version of yourselves, you end up like almost looking to the other person to fill holes that your life is needing filled instead of being able to just like love each other as you are. So, you know, it it ended up, we ended up right after New Year's. uh, Well, so it was like maybe New Year's 2017 or something like that. It was, um, it was over and it was hard. And I was just like kind of devastated. And I went through this whole stage of, you know, because again, I had never dated. And then this was my only other experience. So I had this marriage that I had been in for 11 years that, you know, suddenly and pretty tragically came to an end. Um, And I didn't want it to end, but, you know, there were circumstances. Yeah, nobody really ever does. Just, right. Yeah. It just made it impossible to stay in that situation. And then I was in this relationship that, I was pumping as much energy into as I could and it just didn't work out. And I just felt like, what is it about me that keeps, that keeps this dynamic of my friend, Patty and I, we started to coin it um, broken birdie syndrome. It's like, I would seek out the little wounded birds to try and like resuscitate them and bring them back to life and pour all of this energy and attention in. And then when it couldn't be revived, I would get angry or frustrated and then the relationship would end. But it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't find, if you don't take time to heal yourself and take time to like, look for a partner that has done the own their own work to heal, then you're just going to both be kind of wounded versions of yourself and you just can't show up for pe- yourselves like you should. Right, right. And I think that, uh, you know, the stars did not align for that relationship. Like you were saying, the, all the coordinating going on. And of course, you know, sometimes you're trying to make it work, but if you're just putting in the crumbs to, to each other, uh, all, the, all the energy and all the good stuff is going other places that's why people that that overwork themselves you know seven days a week and they try to you know sprinkle in a relationship every once in a while in there too and if you have kids and everything else too and nothing's going on i can see where where that would be a real struggle and and even for me in in that year 2016 2017 you know it was a real struggle to kind of get everything figured out for me because during the end of 2016 is when i bought my first house So during that last half of 2016, I was, my free time, other than the kids, but like after work, was with my realtor agent looking around at new properties, signing documents. I probably looked at probably every night after work, every afternoon after work, I would meet up with her and we would go and look at five properties, probably at least twice a week. And then you say, which ones did you like? Which ones you didn't like? Which you send over the e-docs that would do the DocuSign on a bunch of different ones. Because I was trying to get a house because I, I knew the apartment I had, I was in, 
just raised all the rates. And it didn't mm-hmm. just raise them on me. It raised them for the entire complex. And I was talking to my neighbors and they're like, well, I guess we have to eat it and stay because all the other apartments around here are charging about that same price. This one might be a few dollars less and we don't have to move. So we'll just stay here. But it was still high. You know, I, th- I thought it was high. And I was like, well, these kind of prices, I can buy a place. You know, mm-hmm. That's, that was my thinking. I was thinking, you know, financially. So I looked at so many different places and so many condos and different things and kind of found out what I get qualified for and all the stuff. And okay, I, but I remember. Quick I'm question. Sorry. Quick question first, though. So as you're getting ready to go out and do this job or this house hunting, did you have a ton of money in the bank for a big down payment or were you just like rainbows and unicorns and hoping that somebody would like take you at your word for zero money down? No, well, it doesn't quite work that way. Uh, They weren't doing any zero financing back then that I can recall, but they did have the FHA loans that were available. Now, the way the FHA loans work, as far as I know, they still do them today, is that you can put down a minimum of uh, 3.5% down of the mortgage of the entire loan for down payment. And then you also only needed like a 580 credit score. I was like, well, I think I got that. I think I, I think I had like a 600 credit score or something. So I think I was go key there. And then um, 3.5% down on a house that's $450,000. It's still like 15 grand. That's a lot of money still. So what I did end up doing was um, taking a loan out of my 401k for a big chunk of it. Dave and- Ramsey would kill you. <laughs> Dave, you're not listening to this. Dave, Dave, <laughs> Dave, turn this off right now. I'm telling you. <laughs> But I did that. And then I also did, um, I borrowed money from my dad. My dad had some money saved in his savings account. He had like six grand. So I had to borrow money from him, which I paid back immediately, like the very next month. Cause I had, um, anyways, the way it worked out. And then through some slick uh, negotiations with the, the seller of the house, I was able to let them cover closing costs and all those different things. So the way it worked out was that um, I get into my very first house, my dream house. I was so excited for as a single dad, single parent, a uh, place for the kids to be, you know, multiple rooms, a garage for the first time ever. I was so excited being able to park my truck in the garage and like walk into the house through the garage. Mind blown. I'd never mm-hmm. even had that experience before. So it was a whole new thing. I was super excited because, you know, just being able to park the truck in the garage. I was so excited about that. And, um, so you felt like life was good. I felt life was very good. Also for me though, when I feel like life is doing very well, part of me feels like something's going to happen. Something horrible is going to happen because when things start doing well for me, bad things also seem to creep in and take over. Mm. So a big part of that is thinking like, what happens? Maybe I lose my job. Maybe I'm going to, who knows what, you know, not make the payments and be, you know, stranded and be totally broke and all these different things you always think about, you know, and as a single parent, now being the only person that's solely responsible for that mortgage, I could see how that could create so much additional stress and pressure. And one thing that I know about you are like right now in our relationship is you already have a high level of anxiety. So when that happened and you made that choice to buy your house, how was your anxiety at that time? Well, I think it was, I think it was pretty mellow. Uh, and, and t- okay. It was, it was half and half. It was, I was excited to get the house. I excited to get, I was so over the moon to get the house and move in and get the keys and like look at furniture stuff and look at buying furniture and buying new things for the place. 
you know, and building new things. And I was so excited about that stuff. And then part of me in the back of my head was thinking like, oh man, this could like literally like, because my last comp, my condo I had years prior to that, I was let go during the, during the great uh, recession times, you know, back in the, um, like 2008, nine and I lost my job, lost my house back then. Like a lot of people did. And those were giving flashbacks to me here in 2016 flashback to then, because I'm thinking now I have not only just me in the house, it's me, the house and two kids. Right. It's so many more responsibilities to worry about. And all, I feel like the whole world, way the world was on my shoulders and the mortgage took up like 99% of my paycheck. Right. <laughs> it was like almost all my money went to the house. And, um, you know, uh, so I didn't have a lot of wiggle room really to really kind of um, for a rainy day for the most part. So it was very tight for the first um, year or so, you know, trying to navigate that stuff. Yeah. And um, I did my best. And it's funny, speaking of that, I remember guys at work at the time thought it was crazy. They thought it was nuts for buying a house. They thought even buying a condo was nuts back then, but buying a, a house, like a physical big house by yourself on the one paycheck, that's crazy town. You're crazy, Chris. You're not going to be able to pull that off. But I did because I wasn't going out to Disneyland. I wasn't going out to Europe. I wasn't going to all these different places in Vegas. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. My life was kids, house, work. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all I did. Well, you know, picking up where you left off. So you you finally got into the house right around that same time. I would say a little bit later than that. You know, I finally, it was, I think it was in 2017. I finally realized like Ezekiel wasn't going to be able to move down with me. He was getting into his flow in middle school. And here I am living quite a distance away from work. And I was realizing that because I wasn't close to work and close to where my friends lived in San Diego, I was up in Escondido in North County. It was really, really impacting my ability to get connected, whether it was a church or with a social group. And so um, I started to look around and I made the decision to move into San Diego proper. So I found this uh, apartment and it was much smaller and it was a bit more expensive, but it was in a really desirable area and a really safe um, apartment master plan community. They had like, we, you've been there, but for those that are listening, it was like they had a clubhouse and a sauna and these pools that were like Vegas pools with like poolside Incredible. service. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, what apartments got poolside service? I know, like drink service and snacks and things. Of course, you had to pay for it. But um, my little apartment, it was much smaller. So I went from the 1200 down to like 900 square feet or like 899 Still two bedrooms, two bathrooms. It was definitely a little bit of an older apartment, but I had a fireplace and it was cute and it was right on the walking trail. And, you know, I'd wake up and there was like beautiful eucalyptus trees. And then I would, I was just like four or five miles down the road from work. So it was like one big. Oh, that's a plus right yeah, there. Yeah, one big, like didn't even have to take the freeway, just went down Friars Road. And right around this time, 
um, after I got settled into my apartment, I was going through this phase of, okay, you know, you're getting this chance to start your life over again. You're living in San Diego as a single woman. I mean, I knew in my heart, of course, I'm a single mom, but during the week I'm just single and I, you know, had never had that experience. And then I really started to like go to meetups and starting to meet friends. And then I think a big turning point for me was when I traded in my Ford Flex SUV, my mom soccer mom car, and I bought myself my Camaro. Ooh. And it wasn't just a Camaro. It was a white convertible Camaro. And I loved that car so much. What'd you love about it? I don't even know. Like, I can't even describe it. Just like, I loved the way, I loved the power of it. I loved like when I slid into it. I loved so much, even on cold mornings. And I remember there's some mornings where it was too cold and it wouldn't take the top down for me because it was like when it was an outside temperature was below a certain point, it wouldn't allow you to do convertible. It does that? I know I yeah, did that. Yeah. It was like if it was below 48 degrees, it wouldn't do it. But I would take the top down and I would blast my music on the way to work and I would be so excited and I'd pull in in my car then I'd put my top up and I thought I was so cool and I would go down by the beach um, in the evenings after work. I would just drive down, take my journal, sit in the back of my car. Um, I remember this one time I took my friend Patty and we, um, we went to a concert and we packed all kinds of stuff in the little trunk with like charcuterie. And so we went, it was like kind of like a tailgate in the parking lot before this country concert out in right. Chula Vista at the oh, amphitheater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we like put out a picnic blanket on the back and then we like popped open a glass of wine. We had like our charcuterie board. We were sitting on the back of my convertible at sunset, toasting like single ladies. And it was so fun. And that was a really fun time for me getting to experiment, not experiment, but expose myself to things that I hadn't been exposed to in a, in not an obnoxious way, but like, okay, I went to my first club with my friends. I, Do you survive? Are you okay? Yeah. I um, went to a brewery and had my first beer at 36 years old. Wait a second. You telling me you never drank at all beers or nothing, anything? I had some drinks. I had wines and like rosés and things like that, but I'd never had a beer. Oh, yeah? What'd you think? Um, eh. I liked it. Yeah? Yeah. I tested out some different ones and I found which ones I liked, but um, I was, you know, living in my apartment and then um, started to date a little bit here and there and just nothing serious. It was just like, you know meeting people and, you know, just meeting different kinds of people and finding out what I liked and I didn't like and um, getting really into my work and doing a lot of travel for work and things like that. And of course, every other weekend, either at this point, Ezekiel was old enough, he was starting to fly down as an unaccompanied minor so we were still seeing each other every other weekend. And that at least you were doing that. At least you're doing that. All the way through. Yeah. All the way until he graduated. It was every other weekend. 
Um, and there was only a couple of, of months where, you know, if he had school stuff and things like that, that kind of got in the way. But that was my priority is I always wanted him to know that he was my my absolute priority in life. And I would show up for everything that I possibly could. I would use any of my vacation days, like if he had a school something to take off and drive up there, even if I had to like drive up and end up getting there at like two o'clock in the morning to be able to go to his thing and then drive back home that night, I would do it. And so. Wow. Mother of the year. No, no, just mom. That's all I was. Mom. Yeah. But you know, it was, I still was wanting, I wanted a relationship and I, I ask myself a lot, like, what is it? Why was it that I wanted a relationship? Why couldn't I be satisfied with just being single? And I would ask myself that a lot throughout that time frame. And I finally got to the point where I realized like I needed to not date at all because I was looking for something in a relationship that I was lacking in myself that I wasn't ever going to find in a relationship. Like I needed to be able to fill that hole for myself. And so instead of dating, I got into therapy. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, while you're in therapy, did did you still realize that maybe a relationship was not the best place for you to be at that moment? Or were you thinking that maybe possibly working at the kinks in therapy kind of realized that maybe a relationship might be a good thing, at least as long as it's a healthy relationship. But defining what a healthy relationship is, is kind of a little harder than, than just pick one out of the you know bag. Yeah. Uh, good question. So I didn't go to therapy to tell me when I was ready for a relationship or not. It actually wasn't what I was there for at all. What I realized is that I had some trauma from my previous relationship that I just hadn't worked through that was causing me to seek out a certain type of individual that would keep me in the same patterns of what had happened in my relationships that hadn't been successful. And yeah. so what yeah. it, what it helped me do was to really figure out what those wounds were, what those trauma wounds were that were building those patterns for me. And what I had to come to grips with is that I felt that I wasn't worthy of somebody that was healthy, happy, and whole. But everybody, now, when you say that, mm-hmm. the definition of happy, healthy, and whole to you might be different than there, than somebody else's version of it. So what did that mean to you back then? I don't think I could put my finger on that. I just know that that was where I was at. I, I You're asking a question that, yeah, I don't have a direct answer to. I just, I had to work through it because I didn't know. I didn't have a de- definition of it. All I knew is I kept ending up in situations with people that I was dating that weren't happy. And they weren't happy. They weren't happy with wherever they were at in life. And Interesting you say that. And they but I felt like I could make them happy. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I was, I was attracted to that because I thought maybe I could fix them. You were the fixer. Right. And you were attracted to the broken. 
that's why I said broken birdie syndrome. Now, does it make sense to there, you? It comes full circle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, getting into therapy really helped me to just put things in perspective and to think about relationships a bit differently and to start learning how to set more boundaries around like not just relationships, but how I presented myself in relationships. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, a little bit. It does. So uh, if you move the timeline around, we're in 2018 now. Yeah. So I'm going to, before you go into anything else, I want to throw it back on you. So I've been talking about where I was in relationships up until 2018 before we met. Um, and it doesn't have to be like right before me, me met because I don't want to know what happened right before. But in that timeline of like 2016 to 2018, I seem to recall that you had somebody that was kind of in and out of your life as well. Yeah, I had a girl or two. And um, there was women, not girls. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. I, I had a few women in my life. And um, one that I was pretty serious about, I was with for a while off and on. And um, during the time, uh, probably from 2014 up until probably before I met, well, a little before I met you, you know. Um, but you've mentioned that that was kind of on again, off again. Tell me about the on again. Uh, the on again? Um, like, what was it like when things were good? When things were good, like, we made each other laugh. We were having a really fun time. We would... Um, be jokey jokesters and stuff. I think that's what attracted me to that person in the first place. Cause we both like, I like to joke around. They like to joke around. It was kind of fun. And then, um, but, but I think for me is that I, when it comes to serious talk stuff, as you may know, I like to bury my head in the sand. And I think that understatement of the year, <laughs> this is what you do. Yeah. You laugh <laughs> See, when things get serious and uncomfortable. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, like if you ever want to see me get mad, just try to have a serious conversation with Chris and have him laugh in your face. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't it's help fine. It. I, can't I help get it. it right now. I You're uncomfortable. Help. I know. I can't help it. It's what I do. It's what I do so, best. So that when the off again happened, when you guys would be out of sync or when things were like, what would cause it to go wrong? Because you mentioned you broke up a couple of times, right? Yeah. I think, um, gosh, it's probably all my frustration. Me trying to. I was trying to think, you know, I think that my problem is that I expect different things and expect different results when things, when you, when think about people, you can't, they're not like a joystick controller on a video game. You can't, you'll play the game and, and say, you're going to go this way. You're going to go that way. You can't make anybody do that. So if their mind's already made up that something's not going to go a certain way and you, and you think it's going to go the opposite way. And then when you come into me and they realize, well, this isn't going to work out because we're on two different, we have two different ideas. And I think at one point I ran the idea of maybe moving in together and that didn't seem to work out too well because the other person wasn't a big fan of that idea and stuff. So that kind of came crashing down, but that wasn't the reason why things went South. I'm trying to remember the reason, the exact reason why things went South, but I can't think of the exact reason, but I just say they did go South. And then we kind of kept like, I mean, when, when things broke up, we didn't talk for a while. And um, and then we kind of like, I don't know, out of the blue, either she would text me and ask how I'm doing. Usually it's the way it works. They would text me, how are you doing? What you up to? And things and start chatting and stuff like that. And then you want to do lunch or whatever and that kind of stuff. But 
but for a lot of times we would do lunch and stuff like that, you know, on, on like a middle of day, work day, that kind of stuff, you know. But at the same time, I was also dating other people. So I was dating other women. Um, and and I was, this is around the same year, 2016, 17, somewhere in the same time, time frame. And I dated a few different women. And, um, you know, I, I think because I knew that the off and on, off and on, I didn't think we'd ever be back together kind of a thing. So I didn't want to keep my hopes up, you know, waiting on that one person because I did not know how serious or not serious they were about a relationship, at least a relationship with me. So I was dating other girls and one girl was totally in love with me. I was dating. She was much, much younger than me. I think I was, I don't know how old I was at the time. I was definitely, I was probably my thirties. Was I thirties? No, you'd be in your forties. No, no, it was before that. It was like, it was like, okay, before I bought the house. So it must've been like 39, 38, 39, somewhere around there. And she was like in her twenties, you know? What are you doing? (laughs) But she was in her late twenties. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. But okay, any- but go back go back to like the twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen. So you're with this person, it's kind of on again, off again. But there, you but- have other people that are in and out and then I have other people I'm dating at the same time. But then what about your kid's mom? What happened? Because I think it's really important for our listeners to know, like there's a little foreshadowing of what happened in your life right before I came into the picture. So right before you came in, my ex-wife, my kid's mom, was in a very horrible relationship because she has another kid with another fellow. That's kind of the reason why we got divorced in the first place. If you think if you can think outside, you know, figure that out. Anyways, so she had a bad relationship with that guy and it was getting very toxic, very much like police were getting involved, domestic violence stuff getting involved, things of that sort. And and I had this big brand new house that I bought. Well, new to me, I guess. And it had three bedrooms and the kids were already bunking up in one bedroom at the bunk bed. I had my room, which is a master, and had this other room, which was sitting doing nothing. It was an empty room. I think I had a few boxes in there. It was basically nothing. And, and I said, you know what? Well, you get a phone call. It wasn't, you said- well, remind you me because I forgot. You said you got a phone call uh, from her, and then what happened? Was this the phone call that led to I had no place to go? Yeah, and, and I have. I'm, I mean, I have no place to go. Her family lives up north, and and she had the kids, and I had the kids, and we were, we were still doing the split custody, where fifty percent of the time my house, fifty percent of the time at her house or her place, and things like that. And she told me that. The days that I had the kids, when it was just her and her ex, it was very toxic to where it was very violent, them being there. And then she tried to curb it when they were they were at the house, but uh, when the kids were at the house with them and stuff, but it was worse, way worse when the, the two of them were alone, no kids were involved. And she has a tiny tot that's also now in the picture as well. Correct, correct, with that other person. Right. So, so you have, you know, the mother of your children who you're divorced from and there's been a number of years in between. You have this on again, off again relationship and maybe you're dating a couple of other gals, but then you get this phone call where she's literally telling you, I can't be here. I'm afraid he's going to do something to me. I don't have anywhere to go. I'm going to end up on the streets. And then what goes into your mind as 
I mean, because the reality is, and, and we've talked about this before, even if we're not in love with that person, we still have love and care for the fact that they are the parent of our children and we never want ill to come to them. And we both are on the same page with that. So absolutely. So what I made the decision to do since I had the big house and the empty room and I said, why don't you come move in and you can stay in this extra room. You'll be close to the kids. You know, you'll be here, you know, watching them when I'm not here. And, and you know, it's, I mean, I already got, I already have the place. I have the space for it. If I didn't have, I didn't have the space for it, I wouldn't, I don't know how we did figure that out, but because I happened to have the space for it and all that. And, and I said, um, if you wanted to, you know, of course she jumped on it and she moved right in and, you know, got a bed and she bought herself a bed or some bought her a bed. Anyways, she got the place, the room all decked out for her, her to stay in. And it was, it was her little spot. Yeah. So, you know, that was around what year is that? 2017. Right. So, you know, I think that's an important part of our story that we, I don't think we've actually ever talked about on this show. And it brings us up to, you know, right before we met, you, you are in this situation now where you had been divorced for over five years. You'd done the work to get yourself financially back on good footing. You'd bought a house from the outside looking in. You're like well positioned to like, you know, welcome somebody else into your, you know, a relationship or something like that. You'd been in this on again, off again, but anybody from the outside looking in would be like, man, this single dad, he's like got his stuff together and look at this. He's raising his boys and what you, and I remember when you told me on our very first date that she was living with you. You were probably thinking we were still married. No, I, I actually didn't. Um, so, you know, that brings us to like where our stories start to converge and it's like, I was back in San Diego and I'd taken this break from dating. I went through therapy and then I finally got to this point where I felt like I could enter back into the dating world and put myself out there, but I wasn't just going to go on all of these different dating apps. I was going to pick one. And um, I was very thoughtful about that. And you had already been on some dating apps, but you also have your kid's mom in the household. And so we end up on this, the same app, which we've talked about before. Um, and we end up matching up and, you know, we always have joked around who made the first move or whatever. That's besides the point for here, but we, we end up on our first date at What's the name of the place? McGregor's. McGregor's. Pub and Grill. Gonna, I was going to say O'Doul's. I knew that was wrong. No, McGregor's Pub McGregor's. and Grill. They're in Mission Valley. Right. And, you know, we sat down and we had a really good conversation. And I felt like you were very open with me and we had good chemistry. And then you got super nervous at this one point in the evening when I was asking you something about your house and then you told me that, you know, my ex-wife lives at the house. Maybe a few drinks of me at the point I think it might have been. Yeah, but you, I think you were nervous to tell me because I don't think you had expect, like you didn't know what to. Of course, it's almost like it's, it's, it's I guess the same feeling would go into say a, a, a single mother who 
has a child and is on the dating scene and drops that on the lap or say, by the way, I have a kid. It's kind of the same feeling that they would go through. Although I think this is a little bit more than that because it's the, um, by the way, my ex still lives with me, but it wasn't a still lives with me. It was my ex lives with me again. (laughs) And, but, but what I don't think people from the outside looking in realize is in cities like San Francisco, San Diego, New York City, we can throw some other very expensive cities into the mix, is when you are in that situation of being a single parent and being the sole provider for the most part for your kids, how sometimes for some couples moving out isn't an option because they literally can't afford it because for some couples like they're on the verge of being at the poverty line even with combined incomes now imagine you split up what happens for that person that has a lower income where are they going to go right yeah definitely yeah and so out of necessity i think that there's um i mean i've seen lots of different situations where i had um previously when I was a principal up in Fresno, I had a teacher who um, they rotated in. Once they separated, it was like one of them would live somewhere else for three days while the other one came in to care for the kids. And it was like this, the parent carousel. Oh, so the kids wouldn't go back the and forth. The parents would. The parents, I've heard, I've heard of stories like that. It's right. not nothing new. I've heard that before. But I've also heard that here in San Diego and probably, like you said, the expensive towns like this one, that a lot of people were moving back in with their parents in times right. like that, or even staying with their parents much longer than they probably should have, just because rents are so expensive and and everything's so expensive. And and, yeah. and to think that like like you literally need to make six figures or more to even like get an apartment, right? You know. So in that moment, when you told me you were like, "Hey, so my ex wife." lives in the spare bedroom at my house, but there's nothing between us. We've been divorced for like five years. It was just circumstances. And and you were very open with me. I was like, okay. And it was, it was one of those moments where I, I actually never thought that you two were involved. Like from the very beginning, when you told me, I never thought that the two of you were involved to this day. Like, I mean, you're looking at me right now weird. Like maybe I should have been questioning that. <laughs> no, I just was because I because I because you say that, but then you hate it when like Oh, just she, don't she, get into all that. Okay. I don't get into all that because yes, I am a very I am a very territorial wife. Yeah, it's a Latina in you. The Latina. Sure. You call it whatever it is, but I'm very strict on boundaries. So that was the thing is yes, you shared a home. But then there was, you two were very friendly with each other. And that was not my experience with my uh, previous spouse where we had very tight boundaries around communication. Like we didn't like joke around with each other. It was like very transactional. Like, are you taking him this weekend? Where is he going to get picked up? Blah, 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 blah. And then I come into this environment where the two of you are collaboratively parenting in the same house and we're sitting down for dinner. And now it was really, really difficult for me to figure out where I fit. Yeah, I can see that. 
Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I know. I mean, I, I always wondered um, when you were gone up to visit Ezekiel up north and it was just me and her and the kids at the house. And that must have made you feel a little uneasy. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, now we're opening up the camera worms. I won't forget. And this is something Are that- Are you talking about the dining room table? Dining room table. <laughs> Holy moly. So you and I had been dating for a couple of months and you had this high top pub table for a dining room table and it had the tall stools, but they were kind of spindly, like very, like the legs on them were kind of thin. And so that was the only place to eat dinner, but there was only four seats. Right. It was a four seater. It was my apartment at the time. Yeah. Like most apartments do. They don't have big dining rooms. The dining room was the size of like a closet. So I had to get something small that I could fit in the dining room and, you know, we all could have dinner around. Yeah. But what was happening is as I came into the picture, it was the only place to eat. And if Ezekiel came, then there wouldn't be room for all of us to sit. Or if we had your parents over, there wasn't room to sit. And so I was talking with you about how great it would be to get a dining room table where we could all sit around. And then also at the time you had your former spouse that was in the house and she had a little one there plus all of you. So even then there was five of you. And then the kids had like a little plastic table (laughs) in the kitchen that they sat at for food. I remember that it was like a little tiny one. So I had been talking with you and I said, well, you should get a dining room table, but I would love to go shopping for that with you. And you were like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And then I went away to go be with Ezekiel for the weekend. And you send me a picture of you at the furniture store with her. And you say, guess what I just bought? And I was so livid. Like I almost broke up with you that weekend. Gosh, wow. Because for me, it was like, we had talked about it and it was our our idea. Our thing. And And now I'm going to have to sit at a dining room table that you picked out with another woman who's not me for your little family. And it did almost feel for, there were times it felt like I was a sister wife. I'm not going to lie. It was very hard. And I was like, yeah. Why? And then I would sit at, t- at night sometimes and it's like, why am I, why am I allowing myself to be in this dynamic? And I had to go back through like, okay, is he broken? Like, is he a broken birdie? Am I trying to fix something with him? And I would go, cause I was in therapy very actively throughout this time. And I would talk about this a lot. And I will tell you, my therapist was so great to help me work through all of these thoughts and feelings to help understand them rationally when I would get fired up because I would tell her, I was like, he flipping brought, bought a dining room table with her. (laughs) And she helped me reframe it. Like he didn't buy it with her. She happened to go. He did purchase one. And he was bringing it home to help you guys get closer to being able to have those opportunities to sit and dine around. Um, But I did make you sell that before we got into this house because we did have an agreement, which we've kept to, which is 
in this home that we bought, we wanted a fresh start for everything. Oh, definitely. It's it's our place. You and me. It's our new house. So no bad mojo to come in yeah. here. We talked through every piece of furniture before we brought it into this house. And the the things that we agreed to bring was our bed because it was a very comfortable bed. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And some, a couple of pieces from my old apartment that had meaning to me, but were not part of my previous marriage. And I think that was a really important piece for us. But yeah, I, I almost can imagine where like some relationships where they do bring in stuff that came in from another relationship. Like how, how does it make you feel when, if you, if you saw like something on the mantle or something, you know, that was something that. I mean, I wouldn't go to the extreme as like saying like the, you know, the the wedding glasses for your previous marriage, have those out. Right. You know, but something like that, you know, I mean, how would that make you feel if you had that in the house? It'd be no bueno. I'd get rid of that immediately. Right. Yeah. But, you know, we we wanted to talk today about just this journey to get to each other. And I think that I look at our marriage now and like, what everybody gets to hear, they get to hear the polished podcast episodes and they get to hear us talking with, you know, all these really great people from around the world. But what gets missed is the day to day and how hard we've had to work and to fight to keep this thing our thing, like to keep ourselves together. Because, you know, we knew the statistics going into this that. Um, you know, if you look at all marriages, 50% of marriages in general fail. New marriages. Or is it all marriages? Like even No, 50% of marriages fail. But if you just look at second marriages, it goes up to 75%. Is that because, is that why some people say I'm on my third marriage a lot? You hear that phrase a lot. We had a guest on, we talked, he was mentioning something about his third marriage or something like that. So is that why? Well, because after you've gone through a divorce once, a lot of people haven't taken the time to do the healing work to help them find a partner that compliments them and they can continue to repeat patterns that keep them in unhealthy relationships or incompatible relationships. And so I think there's a lot of different things that go into it. Plus, when you have kids and you're bringing kids together from two different relationships and exes and all of those things, like all of the things that we've just discussed, like we've done a lot of living. We didn't even get to, you know, trauma and things that have happened before we even got to 2016. And so, you know, here you, we show up to each other, you know, June 9th, 2018 at McGregor's and we carry all of these things along with us. And, you know, I didn't know when I showed up to that bar that day that, you know, here I'd be five and a half years later living in this beautiful house, talking on this podcast about our journey. But I think it's important that people talk about, you know, what they've had to work through and struggle through and overcome because otherwise on the surface, it looks like we just quote unquote have it all, right? Well, that it's like, what do you call like the Instagram or Facebook life, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of everybody who's on Facebook or Instagram and they posting all these happy family or happy couple photos, 
there's probably about a hundred unhappy photos that you didn't get to see. Oh yeah. I mean, just look at, if you look at our website and of course, I mean, we're guilty of it as much as the next person. We have our YouTube videos of us going to Hawaii, but people don't know about, you know, the fights behind the scene on that Hawaii trip and, you know, ups and downs or like the Disney world trip. And, you know, they weren't with us when we came home and three days later came down with COVID and, you know, I had to, you know, I lost part of my hearing and now here we are, you know, dealing with me having a disability and like all of these different things and they, people don't see that part. And so I feel like it's so easy to have a frosting podcast show. Or or YouTube show or Instagram mm-hmm. uh, channel or, any, you know, any kind of content creation. It's very easy to just show all the the fluff. Yeah, and I think that's why pe- people do enjoy showing off that stuff. Even if you're not a content creator, even if you're just a regular person that has a regular Facebook page, you might end up just showing all your wonderful trips and, and trips to Disneyland, your wonderful, you know, your kids and they're all their cute Christmas outfits and all your wonderful, look at my Christmas tree. The Christmas tree ones are all the biggest ones. Every Christmas, everybody, nobody posts a dead tree on Christmas, <laughs> you know, or, or, or the fights to go into decorating the tree. Nobody posts that stuff. So I get it. You know, I just felt like it was important for our journey for us to like, pause and let people get to know the real us. And I mean, we've been at this for four and a half years and it's taken us four and a half years to be able to like get to the point where we can sit down and have an honest conversation about, you know, where our journeys were and what's led us to this point. And, you know, it is because of all of those things that we're able to connect with so many different people of different backgrounds, but there are also so many parts of my story and maybe you feel the same way that you'd never wish on someone else because it was just so hard. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't want anyone to go through the horrible things that I've had to go through and and same thing with you too, I'm assuming. And, and I think that if we can get out and, and explain and share and, and basically almost like a warning out there that, you'll know, be on the lookout and hopefully that these things that happen to us don't happen to you. Yeah. I don't know if people can avoid it as much. I mean, life happens. That's true. Yeah. But I, what I want is for our listeners, for our friends, for, you know, people that might just stumble across this podcast episode to not feel alone because you know, when you go through a divorce and you go through that fracture of a relationship and you have to face this idea of getting yourself back out there once you're ready to get out there, quote unquote, uh, you can carry with you all of these feelings of being damaged goods or like, is there anybody that's going to love me? And the answer is, Yes, there is. And it's going to take a lot of work though. It's not, it's going to take a lot of work to keep it because when you've, I don't, I don't even know if I'm saying this correctly, but it's like, it's very easy for people to get into. And we've talked about this on multiple episodes to get in the Disney mentality of relationships or just like the Hallmark mentality where it's like, 
you see all of the fluffy stuff. And yeah, that's they, how I uh, I learned uh, dating was all right. based on Disney movies. Right. And it's like you see just a little bit of conflict and then, you know, somebody runs away and they come back together. They reconcile and then they live happily, happily ever, ever after. after. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is, is it's messily ever after. Like life is messy and we're constantly trying to work through it. And, you know, that's the thing is with our relationship is there's been some real hard stuff we've had to work through. And I'm sure there's going to be hard stuff we're going to continue to have to work through. But the thing is, is we keep working through it. That's right. Yeah. Even, even if you get uncomfortable and you laugh like a creeper, (laughs) (laughs) we still figure out how to have the hard conversations. And so I don't know if there was any specific point to this episode other than for us to feel that we were finally like showing our cards to everyone and being like, here's the real us and here's, here's our real journey and maybe you connect with a point. Maybe, maybe this is something that's going to help better prepare you for maybe something that comes into your life later, or maybe it's, maybe you heard something that you think could help a friend that's going through some dark times right now. But I just want to say that if you put in the work like on yourself, things will get better. Yes, and definitely. We can't promise you you're gonna find love and or that you're gonna find that magical relationship. But we can say that if you put in the work to do what's right for you and your kids, if you have kids, you are gonna be better off because of it. That's right. Yeah. Well said. My well, goodness. Thank you. Dr. Christine in the house. Absolutely. And sitting on my therapy couch over here across from you. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm the therapist today. Yeah, you know? like really? Well, this is You're ther- asking like some deep questions today. It made me uncomfortable. Well, because I'm a therapist in my spare time. In your spare time? Yes. I thought you almost said in your spirit time. I was like, that, well, that what is that? That too. I think spare time goes, you know, is close because usually you don't have any spare time. So that's, kind of the, that's the way it works. Anyways. But anyways. Anyways. Well, um, I hear our puppy calling us. She's crying over there. She's been so needy today. And it's like she got bacon and a hamburger patty today. She got more bacon than I've, than I've ever had. You know? I know. But, uh, you know, for our listeners that maybe maybe this is their first time listening to our episode, where can they find out more about us? Yeah, you can go to our website, which is chrisandchristineshow.com. There's a link to it down at the bottom of this episode. Scroll on down and there it is. Absolutely. And so, you know, this was a deviation from our typical episodes. You normally can expect to hear, you know, great interviews, fun banter. Um, this was a little bit more of a a quiet, like reality check kind of episode, but we've got it's a- like it's like if you ever watched the show, there's some shows that have like all giggle called giggle shows, comedy shows, and they'll have like the standard thing, and then every once in a while they'll go into like a deep like serious subject of the show. I think Saved by the Bell did one about drugs or something like that, you know? Um, yeah, I think it was Saved by the Bell I'm thinking of. And of course, maybe even Family Ties. I'm really dating myself here. <laughs> but they'd have these serious episodes where it wasn't all the funsy, you know, usual, you know, funs and giggles. But uh, but yeah, anyways. But they would always have that moment at the end of the episode where they'd like sit down at the couch 
and they'd have like whatever the moral of the story was, where especially if it was like Family Matters was the one with Urkel, where the dad would always like sit one of the daughters or one of the kids down and he'd have the moment with them. And so I think like our moment for this episode is like, we just want you to know we're real people. We have gone through real things and real struggles. And, you know, even though it looks like it's all sunshine and rainbows, like we're struggling through life just like the rest of everybody is. And so if you feel like you're on the struggle bus right now, don't worry. We're just in the row in front of you. And <laughs> struggle bus. I never heard anybody call it struggle bus before. I'm laughing at that. <laughs> struggle bus, huh? Well, just don't feel like you're alone because um, you know, we're there, we're rooting for you, and just don't give up. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And um things are gonna continue to get better, right, Chris? They sure are. And so thank you all for listening. We have another great episode that's gonna be coming up for you next week. So stay tuned. We'll be back with you. And thanks for listening.